goes to... And the winner is... And the Oscar goes to... The winner is... Oscar goes to... M-M-O-W's Oscar Race Update. And we're back, another Oscar Race Checkpoint greeting you on this weekend. The third weekend, or is it the fourth weekend? It's the fourth weekend in August 2019, which is the 10th anniversary of the theatrical release of the Oscar-winning Inglorious Bastards from Quentin Tarantino. Going to have more about him in this uh, upcoming episode as well. But this is the Oscar Race Checkpoint. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Yeah, also Mike here. We didn't have anything Tarantino this week, so we had to do this. And then we'll have to do that segment later. <laughs> Later on, but we're introducing a new segment on this show. Finally, yes, I'm excited about it. It's going to be fun. But we we got a lot of news that broke middle of this week on Spider-Man, and yes, that's an Oscar story. We've got a lot of trailers to get to before then. So uh, let's get at it. Mike. Yeah, and you, as you has been the case lately, we are going to beg you off the top here. If you guys could take the five seconds, it would take give us a five star review there on Apple Podcasts, where we are most heard from iTunes, Apple Podcasts, however you want to classify it. Uh, just go to your search bar on your podcast app type in mike mike and oscar if you can click on our logo uh, scroll down after you do so you'll see the opportunity to give us a five-star review really trying to collect as many of those as we can we know we've been bugging you a lot lately about it but it really would mean a lot to us if you could take those couple seconds and just do that for us uh really does go a long way but like mike said let's dive right into it and the biggest news of the week which is usually going to be reserved for a news of the week segment on mmow but it does have oscar implications michael sony and marvel had a little bit of a discussion yeah sony gains the full rights to spider-man once again all right, why why is this Oscar news? Look, this was a shared property, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse just beat the highest-grossing Pixar movie ever at the last year's Oscars. Mm-hmm. For this year, you have Avengers Endgame being the highest-grossing movie ever at the box office. But Did okay also, for itself. Yeah, it's also going to be a Oscar contender, and the character of Spider-Man, Michael, he was like a damsel in distress for the end of that film. Yeah. So here we have Spider-Man being involved in these two Oscar-adjacent properties. We don't think Far From Home is going to be an Oscars movie this year, but it is a shared property that made a billion dollars. Maybe it has an outside shot at visual effects. Still, we don't think so. $1.2 billion to be exact. So, Mike, Homecoming made 880 We just had 850 from Venom. Sony Pictures, are they feeling confident that they can shepherd this property by themselves. Why do you think this happened? Get it? You were all over it on Twitter. What do you think? So, let's start off with what's most important here. Mm-hmm. I told you so. Uh, you did have a sneaking <laughs> suspicion. That- well, it just makes good business sense, and I don't. I, I think. You know, in our desperation to cultivate content, and everybody wants to get out and lead story and put their hot takes out there, this is really a nothing burger right now. If you really take a step back and look at this from 30,000 feet, all this is was a meeting of two sides that were trying to extend a contract, basically another collective bargaining agreement, except it's not a union dispute. They're trying to extend a contract before the contract's up. Now, what we have right now in front of us is that we still have two Spider-Man properties to go within the MCU itself. All that's happened so far is Sony has come out and said that Kevin Feige isn't going to be the executive producer on the Spider-Man movies. And they've tried to, if you go by Deadline's article, Sony's trying to spin this right now as saying Feige's too bogged down with his new obligations, getting the X-Men and the Fox properties. He's not going to have enough time to dedicate. Uh, Deadline stands by the reporting that says Sony doesn't want Feige involved, blah, blah, blah. Nothing's happened so far. And we're in this holding period now because we have at least these two contractually must-be-done Spider-Man movies by the MCU. Now, what the MCU chooses to do with these Spider-Man movies could be interesting. They could put these on a shelf for a long time, but we know we have a couple years just based solely on how the MCU treats their sequels anyway. They go two to three years between sequels as it is. Mm -hmm. So if we have two Spider-Man movies left, whether that's a solo Spider-Man movie and including him in another one of these Avengers-type movies or whatever it is, we know we have at least a few years before we actually have this falling apart between Sony and Marvel wholesale, which suggests to me that this isn't the last meeting. One, Disney is notoriously fickle when it comes to sharing profits anyway. They don't want the money. Disney wants all of the money all the time. And now I know they kind of, if going by different reporting, they weren't getting the best deal as it was. And now they turn to Sony, it's after they've done so much good with the Spider-Man property for Sony, turning to Sony and asking for a 50-50 co-financing split, it's probably not the best move on their part, but it's also the first round of negotiations to extend the contract, so why would you go with your best offer first? All right, so I'm not good at reading into all this. That's why you're the lawyer of the two of us. 
Was the split 95-5? I haven't read... Where did you read that from? From the Slash, was that Slash film, film article. Okay, I, I I didn't I didn't see that. I don't know for sure. If it was ninety five five, where Sony was getting ninety five percent of the profits, then that's I don't a, know how there is another deal to be made. Right, that's a terrible deal for Disney. Right, turn, and it's an unfair deal for Disney, considering what Disney offered up. Right, you have the most successful producer of all time in movie history, bona fide. Uh, just yeah, Midas no Touch, Midas Touch, and Kevin Feige, and then Disney offered. You know, the Spider-Man franchise, a mentor character the likes of Tony Stark, a mentor character the likes of Nick Fury. You have happy John Favreau, who's been a cheeseburger-making golden boy for, <laughs> you know, a lot of these MCU movies. And we love him, and he's funny, and that really serves both films. Mike, the fact that it's called Spider-Man Homecoming to, you know, kickstart the new series is built on all of the goodwill and fan service that joyful story of the Spider-Man coming back to the MCU. All of that is good business. It's good to sell the Spider-Man franchise, you know, after the, yeah. the turd that the Amazing Spider-Man was for for all of Sony. And we look, we look at Into the Spider-Verse... 375 million now you have this combined property 1.2 billion that's actually the into the spider-verse arm of this to me is a little more interesting mm -hmm. because if sony does take their property and go first of all all right taking this chronologically you got to tip your hat to sony because sony in the business where disney is putting other studios out of operation just solely based on their existence yeah sony basically played disney here they said, uh, here, they made take our take our IP, yep. Mr. Wholesale, you you know, goose with the golden egg type thing, make it awesome, and then when we're ready, we'll take it back. <laughs> and they've done that, essentially. Like Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home, they feel like MCU movies. Right. Two and through, we included them in our rewatch series. These feel like MCU movies. The MCU handprints are all over it. If the MCU and if Marvel Entertainment was only getting 5%, like this you know, slash film thing in my brain read. Yeah, that's how it reads to me. I'm going the, over right now. That is a crazy good deal for Sony. Never mind the fact that Sony's making money off of three of the bigger blockbusters in the history of movies, the last three Russo Brother films, one of which was the biggest blockbuster in the history of movies. And Sony has some things going for it, too. I mean, say what you want about the way that Tom Rothman has kind of handled superhero properties in the past. I understand there's trepidation. He's also responsible, or at least credited, as the guy that killed the Deadpool idea when he worked for Fox and wanted right. Deadpool presented as he was in that Wolverine spinoff without his mouth, which Ugh. we all have issues with. So, But <laughs> Sony does have a couple things going in its favor. One, uh, biggest October movie of all time in Venom. They know Spider-Man versus Venom is probably as long if you don't do anything to Spider-Man versus Venom, it's probably a billion dollar property probably. just on intrigue alone. You might have another one of those on Carnage too, depending on how you handle it. That's all housed in Sony. Um, that's what Sony has going for it. But like I said, started to say before, the Into the Spider-Verse arm of this, if Sony was serious about taking the Spider-Man property back and doing what it can with it, I would think they'd want the Spider-Verse guys in-house except that the Spider-Verse guys, after Spider-Verse, just signed a first right of refusal deal with Universal. So they're in, they're contractually obligated to Sony for streaming and TV shows, yeah. but Universal has their movie rights. So if Sony was serious about cultivating the Spider-Man property and doing all they can with it, instead of just maybe handing the whole thing over to an Andy Serkis at some point down the line, if they wanted to keep it with guys that have already a, a, an extensive history with doing well by Spider-Man, I would think they'd get go those guys involved and keep them in-house. Lord and Miller and obviously well, the five-part director team yeah. of that property. I can't remember all their names right now. They might have made the best Spider-Man movie right. ever, Mike. We we love that. However, $400 million ceiling on that film. How much better is the next one going to do? That's not the size of the pie that we're looking at with Homecoming, with Far From Home, which is $2 billion right there. It's also much different. a bit of a... I don't know, I don't want to call it, go so far as to call it a slap in the face, but Disney, who just shelled out $71 billion to buy Fox mm -hmm. after taking 5% of profit grosses off the Spider-Man movies after what they did for Sony, now it's gonna their, their first negotiation, their first ask of Sony is to go into a 50-50 co-financing split. Now, again, they're posturing there. Right. Are they trying? They're going from 5 to 50, so they what are they hoping for? Are they hoping for 30? Are they hoping for 20? 
Well, I mean, I, I think you could take the profit sharing and the, the co-financing. I think those can be mutually exclusive because, you know, one's accepting money in the back end and one is just how much you're going to put up front for it. I don't know if Disney was in the co-financing 50-50% beforehand anyway. I don't know if this is something that was already being done. Yeah, we're not familiar with the, the numbers. All this being said, Sony just had a, a boon with Venom. 850 yeah. off of whatever that budget was. That was a big deal for them. They're starting to look like a major movie studio, the likes of Disney and AT&T, etc. The likes of these other studios here. We have Venom being successful. Why, though? Is it because it's like this bizarre, campy movie, like this big-budget camp film? Is this lightning in a bottle, Venom? Are we getting into this Venom sequel as much as... Does Venom 2 make a billion five? I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, they, you can't deny that some of the allure of Venom was having caliber, an actor of the caliber of Tom Hardy attached to it. Having, doing crazy shit. Who's yeah, known for doing crazy Having shit. an actor of the caliber of Michelle Williams attached yeah. to it. I mean, these are... Oscar caliber talents and this that Venom, did yeah, this a Venom, bizarre movie. <laughs> this Venom looks more like the comic book Venom. Right. right. The big hulking character than, you know, the let's match him up to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man Venom. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, to answer your question, does Venom 2 make $1.5 billion? It, It's going to be interesting. It's going to be certainly going to be a litmus test. And I think, I don't think Sony is unwise to seeing, you know, how that one does before yeah. we re-enter talks with Marvel. There's a whole ways to go in this journey because again Disney is not going to put their best offer out there first yeah so this could be we walk away from the table and a month from now we got Venom in the MCU right, right. you know so, they come uh, up with any, a whole deal to incorporate it all we know I mean Spider-Man sequel wasn't even touched on in phase 4 the rollout that happened at Comic Con so yeah if nothing else, we have at least until early 2022 before the next step of this probably comes along, Makes if sense. these two sides don't get resolved sooner. Look, as a comic book fan and as a movie fan, do we want Spider-Man in the MCU? Of course. If you truly don't like entertainment monopolies, you're very, very happy with what Sony's doing because Sony just pushed back against the big bully in the room. And they have leverage. And by taking this this position that's what Disney offered as a total non-starter, Sony's the one, they own the IP, they turned down the initial offer from their, their partner over there in, in Marvel and Disney. They're the ones with the standing right now. And yeah. people don't get one over on Disney much anymore. This is kind of cool. And Sony does have a path forward. Sure. With, with Venom, like you said. It's of course. It's an obvious path forward. You can build that out with Morbius. But you don't even have to do that combo movie yet you can have venom get a, his own trilogy and then you can do it yeah can uh, there's Morbius. all kinds there's yeah. all kinds of ways this can go and i don't i think you know i get the idea of wanting you to get your clicks and, and your clickbait and get all the hits you can but there's a ways to go before any of this really means anything as far as the movies go now a lot of the coverage was also about how disney is leaking stuff and Sony was unhappy about that. And then the last, like, day and a half, it's been about Sony's, like, well, we can go forward without Kevin Feige. We know how to do this. We're disappointed. You know, they were they were yeah. taking the high road at first. And now we get articles where, like, all right, we don't need these guys. They're taking a more hard line. The best thing Sony can do is keep their mouth shut. Yeah. That's my take. I mean, why you you have the catbird seat right now. Don't leak. Don't talk. Don't give out any statements. They've already started spinning. You know, it's not. They don't want Feige involved because they don't want him involved. They don't want Feige involved because he's got too much on his plate with you. Just shut up. Don't don't say anything. <laughs> it's not worth it. Yeah. Everybody loves Kevin Feige. Right. Why why would you say anything bad? Even remotely, adjacently bad against. Yeah. Him. I, I just just you're fine, Sony. You're doing. You win. You're. This is the round goes to you. You've won this round. Mm -hmm. Let's see what happens. That's, where, that's what I would take. That would be my advice, my professional legal advice to Sony right now. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> it is fascinating, yeah, though. It I, certainly I get is. get into that stuff. We got some trailer thoughts, though, for Oscar movies. Marriage Story released companion teasers, Mike. One from her perspective and her being Scarlett Johansson. The other being from his perspective, Adam Drivers. We're going to have lawyers brought in, but that's not the marketing tool as of yet. Ray Liotta and Laura Dern are waiting in the wings for this Noah Baumbach movie coming to Netflix this fall. This is getting increasing amounts of buzz as not just an Oscar contender, Mike, but maybe a favorite in some categories. Yeah, this is uh, the premise of these two trailers basically is get ready to cry as Noah Baumbach mm -hmm. takes us through a dissolving marriage through each partner's POV. This was kind of a cool way to market the film. You have the kind of the same song sung by a male voice sung yep. by a female voice from the male perspective from the female perspective saying similar things about each other and it's it's basically just about how sometimes even the most perfect unions that it seems when so many things are going right marriages just don't work I like 
that they went with a gimmick there. And I think that's yeah. necessary. And hopefully it's an indication of the creativity involved in the actual film. If it's not, maybe that's a misdirection. But I think you need to do that when you're selling a movie about vegetables. We, also, we always talk about this. When you're trying to sell this cool new diet... Right, the paleo diet or whatever. This right. veg—it's basically fucking vegetables, people. All right, it's gonna <laughs> suck. But if you put like all the frills and you call it something cool and you give people cult speech to talk about that diet with, right? I'm very angry because I'm about to go on a diet myself. Uh, yeah, I don't know where you're going with this, but, <laughs> but yeah, Mike, if you're gonna do that, then you better wrap it up in a pretty package. And we get that pretty package here. This is a thoroughly artistic trailer. I, you know, you you wonder how they could be angry with each other. You got a movie about divorce, you got a movie that's going to be a rough watch, right? Sure. You're wondering if it's a Kramer versus Kramer, you're wondering which direction it's going to take, how negative it's going to be. Yeah. You don't get that sad sap trailer or either one of them. You get this is what I like about this person. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a very interesting take to keep it positive, to sell on the positivity of it. I also thought it was unique too because it brings the the perspective of, you know, it seems like people have everything one way on the outside looking in you don't really know unless you're involved in it this also could uh, i don't know we only saw the backs of their heads but this might be ray Liotta against laura dern in the courtroom family court there's we know there's a kid between adam driver and scarlett johansson and their yeah. relationship there uh, have we seen adam driver ever play like emotionally heart-tuggingly sad before you know the closest is probably you know a couple scenes in girls and yeah. then a couple seams in uh, the Star Wars movie right. where he's like unhinged. <laughs> right. but that's a different kind. That's he's like a brooding. Movie. Yeah, but he's mostly an even keeled guy in a lot of films lately, at least with Black Klansman, etc. So this seems to be a fit for him based on what Scarlett Joe was was talking about her, you know, her husband character. This is going to make all of us cry. I know that for sure. This is going to be very sad, and it kind of looks like a Woody Allen type thing. Maybe it that's does cut, feel you know, a little Woody Allen without the pedophilia. That's always Hopefully good. Hopefully not. Yeah. But it's, it's also not going to be a Kramer versus Kramer, which is no, about doesn't the dad seem, and the right. kid. I mean, they couldn't make a movie about divorce unless you somehow centered it on the 40-year-old man back then. We all knew these rules back in the <laughs> white 70s. White man, yes. Uh, the 40-year-old white man. Yep. So they figured that out. Yeah. They figured, how can we do mental gymnastics? But that turned out to be a really good movie. I love it to It was, day. yes. That's true. <clears throat> but going into the pre-production Hey, speaking story, of white guys causing problems, <laughs> uh, Bombshell also had its first teaser trailer release, the movie formerly known as the Untitled Roger Ailes Project, which was formerly known as Fair and Balanced, gets its first formal teaser. And that's Charlize Theron makeup, Mike. I'm doing a double take, and I had I, I looked up Megan. I'm like, wait, she's looking like this person? She looks... And she looks exactly like she this She looks person. just like Megan Kelly. That was yeah. my first thought. My second thought was, my God, I thought they were going to get a makeup nominee possibility based on John Lithgow and how he looks like Roger Ailes, but sure. they could totally do this off the back of what they're doing with Charlize Theron. Why? My third thought yeah. was, Charlize Theron looks a lot like Elizabeth Banks. Why don't they just hire Elizabeth Banks? <laughs> okay. Number one, you're, you're absolutely right. We were thinking John Lithgow would give this movie a chance. Uh, I'm going to try and match your points. Number two, Megan Kelly, I did not expect this movie to be about her. Number three, when would you have thought, because, you know, I, I don't follow Fox News. Right. So Megan Kelly is like, I, that's a face I know. Right. But I didn't know she was involved with this yes. backstory. So yeah. that's my point, too. No, point three, just to match you, because I'm competitive, <laughs> is... Why would you ever put makeup on Charlize Theron? She's so gorgeous. She's doing like it, I wouldn't have dreamed that they would have done this. It really yet, doesn't look it like her. It looks great. Yeah. Yeah, double take, double take. If it was, if I didn't see her eyes and maybe her hair, I, I would have like, who is that? Charlize Theron is no stranger to really changing her appearance. Monster. She was wearing prosthetics. Tully. She puts on however much pounds of weight for herself, and and now she's totally changing her look. Whether it's hair design, makeup design, I don't know. I'm not smart enough or artistic enough to know the right, difference. But when we went into the mid year Oscars report, where I was thinking like it's not going to be hard. For these three beautiful movie star, good-looking yeah. actresses to play beautiful news anchors, yeah, because they just could be themselves. Like Nicole Kidman just is herself, and Margot Robbie is herself in this trailer. Yeah, that's typically what happens. Look at the Aniston Reese Witherspoon show that's coming out on on Apple Plus. Right, that always happens. Mm-hmm. Look at the, you know so. I'm shocked that they actually, you know, put all the prosthetics with uh, Charlie Theron here. Uh, that's I'm very interested in this movie overall. I, I did I've kind of had my eye on it as far as Oscar chances go. The 
the beating back and forth with the B and then like the violin B and then the elevator number being pushed and then the three women staring into nothing and then another, that was a little much. Just a lot of looking around and glancing for a teaser. I'm impressed with Margot Robbie's subtle acting there. You know, we talk about cracking the veneer. Yeah. You know, that that was good. I don't get much out of Charlize Theron there. You don't get much out of Nicole yeah, Kidman yeah, there yet either. There, yes, Would yeah. Elizabeth Banks have done anything different? I don't know. I, I it's just, not a comparison sake. She just looks like Elizabeth Banks. She's happily directing like, Charlie's Can angle. you imagine if this wins a makeup and hairstyling Oscar because you made one woman look like another actress that you could have hired anyway? That's a little bit of an insult. That's all I'm saying. I don't think your eyes are that sharp. I really <laughs> don't think not. she looks exactly <laughs> probably like not. Elizabeth Banks. But you're right. I think Elizabeth Banks looks more, I will grant you this, she looks more like Megyn Kelly than Charlize Theron. When this wins the makeup Oscar, I just want the camera to go to Elizabeth Banks in the crowd and see her reaction. <laughs> By accident. Yeah. And then like a, a, <laughs> and then a hard uh, cut back oh to no. the page. <laughs> they went to the wrong person. Ad Astra had its third trailer release. The premise for this one, make Brad Pitt look like he's in space enough to maybe over overlook what might be a ripoff of his visiting the Moss Eisley Cantina, but on Mars. Donald Sutherland said at one point... I knew you were going to have a problem with this. You look just <laughs> like your dad there. What the hell? What the hell? Is this trailer meant to specifically troll me and my former gripes? Ha- have we made it, Mike? Does this mean we've made it? I mean, are you kidding me? The whole problem with the gosh darn premise is that nobody looks like Tommy Lee Jones. Nobody looks like Brad Pitt. They play the to sons the of pre- nobody. The they the play the fathers you. of nobody. It's We're getting bamboozled here. It looks absurd. So unless the end of this movie, and I hope Brad Pitt's character's name is Luke. Unless the end of this movie, he's like, Luke, I'm not your biological father. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to hold one of those Mike one size grudges against it. Uh, all that being said, <laughs> I, I I do kind of like the visuals the more and more I see of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No? I mean, am I no, you're right. here? It looks, right. it looks a lot better than I thought this potential disaster from all we heard the pre-production could have looked like. James Gray doesn't make happy films, though. No, he does not. That's true. I'm worried about this movie just being such a downer and a bummer at the end of the day that... Well, he can kiss Donald Sutherland's character goodbye. I mean, that guy does not belong in space. He can't even freaking see, Mike. (laughs) So he shouldn't be an astronaut because he can't see. Not because he can't, whatever. I mean, but he can't see. Yeah. Neither can you, and neither freaking Mr. Magoo's the both of you. You and Donald Sutherland hang out. You just be like, hey, does that look like Elizabeth Banks? Yeah. She looks like Elizabeth Banks. Looks like, say. look Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> One person in the world looks like Tommy Lee Jones. Frankie had his uh, trailer debut, I guess. This stars Isabelle Huppert. The premise of this, take the charm of leading ladies Huppert and Marissa Tomei, right. inject a sprinkle of the Before trilogy, make it about two couples instead of one, and hope you strike Oscar's gold again. Might actually be three generations of couples if the daughter has as a boyfriend there she's walking the beach with somebody is Tomei supposed to be Isabelle Hubert's daughter in this no idea none I have zero clue I couldn't tell if they were like if they were a budding relationship no they're meeting there okay Greg Kinnear's like if they were related right it wouldn't be like that weird meet cute where it's like oh my god I'm such a fan so if they're not mother and daughter then I is this like Hubert is gonna leave Brandon Gleason to for a romantic interest in Tomei I kind of got that kind of subtext from this but I, I did, can't tell. I did not. I just no? seems like they're having a. Was Elizabeth vacation. Banks in this? This one? was a nothing trailer, <laughs> though, for me, Mike. And I was I was fooled by this trailer because I'm looking at the cast. I'm looking at Hooper, Tomei, and Brandon Gleason, and I'm rooting for everybody. Right. I love this cast. I don't want to discredit or discount them in terms of Oscars, but then you know all these scores show up. Right, yeah, 54 meta rating. Very, very early. I think it has under 100 reviews, but still a 5.5 IMDb score. You would think of, again, I, I, when IMDb, when the super early IMDb scores are middling to low, that is the biggest of red flags to me because you would think the first people out to the IMDb to score them are people involved with the film that yeah. want to hype it up and get it. I mean, that's why Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that's why I kept hammering about the 1,200 reviews that put it at a 9 because that's what you should do right. if you're in that case and, and but this no- doesn't have that. Nothing happened in this trailer. It's literally nothing. They met. A lot of walking around. They walked around. They're beautiful in a, countryside. They're on a beautiful vacation yeah. 
And I'm kind of upset that Luca Guadagnino didn't direct this. And yeah, no, you're right. It's a good point. No, that's not a reference to Call Me By Your Name. No, it's just to make it, you know. <laughs> shit would go down, though. I, I like the countryside, too. <laughs> make it look pretty. He would do that. All right. Cutting back in just after we thought we were done for the day, but we looked online right after hitting the uh, stop button yeah. for this first recording. And now we're back in here talking about Amazon's first teaser trailer for The Report just dropped today on a casual Thursday. Adam Driver is all over this trailer. I was expecting more Annette Benning, but you get some Annette Benning doing her impersonation of Will Ferrell doing his impersonation of Janet Reno. What a wig on the Annette Benning in this. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. I, I was intrigued by, by this trailer. I thought they had real good build to it. It's not about what I thought it was about. Maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention. It's got a cast full of that guy's. Yeah, you know, like a, like every, every secondary leading mariner, like supporting man throughout any TV series or miniseries that's gone on in the history. Corey Stoll's in this. Ted Levine, Tim Blake Nelson. We also have some headliners, more recognizable faces, more tyranny. Michael C. Hall. So these are all very capable actors. This is a nice cast and, and a nice ensemble to see. But you're right, it's got like a zero dark thirty feel to it, where it's all behind the scenes stuff and work, worrying about the paperwork. But I guess with a movie called The Report, we probably should have seen that coming. Probably should have seen that coming <laughs> with the title. I'm just surprised. I didn't know it was about the interrogation program, about reports, you know, regarding the torture, regarding the waterboarding. I thought it was more reports about 9/11 specific things. Yeah, I would have thought reaction. it was the lead up to 9/11 rather yeah. than the falling out. But uh, again, it's talking about it is the whole scandal, which was a huge deal, obviously, and that the United States does not participate in torture. And meanwhile, we're waterboarding everyone to get lies out of them, essentially the mm-hmm. misinformation that we follow up with and takes us nowhere. And it's a whole ethical argument that was all throughout our nation's uh, newspapers and media cycle sure. from there on out. The way they're pitching this, though, this seems like it's Adam Driver's story, and I'm surprised by that. I thought he was going to be a supporting in this. Yeah. And no, he might be a supporting in Marriage Story. Would that... Someone's going to get bumped down. We just... We're going to talk about... (laughs) Time jump here. We're going to talk about the best actor category at the end of this episode. Yeah. Somebody is going to get bumped down from actor, lead actor... To supporting actor, They're, we're just gonna have we're gonna have leads in the supporting. Might category. be Adam Driver on Adam Driver crime here, as far as the academy goes. I don't goes. know who you could be right. Be. Someone's gonna get bumped. Uh, Annette Benning seems to fit naturally in the supporting role for this one, certainly, at least in the trailer playing time here. But I definitely was surprised by that. It's dangerous to cast the altruistic character as the guy that's standing up to the United States government. I think it's it's a really it's kind of a, a, a weird role, I think. I mean, yes, we all look back now and we all say kind of universally torture was bad. And that's how it was for the United States for a while. And yeah. now we're I don't know that we're all unified behind that anymore. There's a lot of people that want to do bad things to bad people. I don't know that I necessarily agree with it, but this might be a more divisive topic now than when Zero Dark Thirty came out. True. His name is also Daniel Jones, for the record. Oh, no. He's our quarterback's name. Is (laughs) that a good omen or a bad omen? That's what I was fixated on while you were speaking. Danny Dimes. You were saying big (laughs) words, and I was saying... He's got the same name as our quarterback. And Annette Benning is playing Diane. I was going to say, it looks like Diane Feinstein. But certainly seems to be an Oscar contender, or at least one that a lot of people have had on their list thus far. And Amazon needs it to be an Oscar contender. They don't have a lot on their slate right now. Yeah. They They need a moneymaker, too. I don't know if this is it, but... They need something. And it's a very strange Oscar movie slate for Amazon. This was kind of the jewel in that bunch. Did you like the the torture report with torture being crossed out with the whole I, I really like aesthetic this of the, the trailer being crossing words out? I like that, too. Put this movie on right now. Give me a sandwich. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch this movie right now. I, I predict we're going to have a running theme of sandwiches for the latter half of this episode. Hungry. One more trailer that just dropped. And good thing we're double checking after we hit stop because this is the second trailer that almost passed through the five hole on our wickets here. But Motherless this Brooklyn. This is bizarre. Did I say sandwiches? I want the sandwiches. This. Mike, what the hell was this? So this is, this is bad, right? Can we, can we get a few positives out of the way? Good production values. Interesting story. Performances, detective story. Great cast. Yeah. What the fuck is Ed Norton doing? Why? Well, I, I thought we're not doing this anymore. Ed Norton, I understand this is an adaptation off a novel. Ed Norton is playing a protagonist that has a Tourette syndrome. Very serious. A lot of people deal with it. We, we can't do this anymore, can we? We can't have... 
We have to hire people that actually are afflicted with and overcoming these things to play these parts anymore, don't we? Isn't that a big issue in Hollywood right now? Didn't Scarlett Johansson just get yelled down from the rafters for her take opposing that viewpoint a couple yeah. weeks ago? Yes, she did. The, I mean, this is a, a different scenario in a way, but it's... I, I guess, it's, yeah. I, I mean, this, my mouth when I, was agape when I, was, I saw that. I was shocked. I was shocked because this is the closing night film at the New York Film Festival. I really am on the hunt for answers the same way the tagline of this movie is. <laughs> states to be <laughs> good job that's a great tie-in no you're right I, I i cannot look i could be totally off base here and i could be shouting into the wind about a nothing story but this struck me so offensively awkward and wrong and it's not that it, it is that he doesn't have the affliction and and he's portraying it but it also conveniently seems to go away during the more serious aspects of the trailer I don't know anyone with it. I don't know anyone that suffers through Tourette's Syndrome. I don't want to pretend that I do. I just know how this hit me. I found offense in it. And I am nowhere near this issue. Right. And I'm not someone easily offended. I like to get... I mean, I, I am very liberal. I am very progressive. I like to, you know... I, I, I guess I am more PC than the normal bear, but help me out here. Am I wrong? No, the PC uh, alert alarm system just went off in my head as well. I I'm surprised he went back to, like, primal fear. Uh, he went back to his days where he's portraying this character. I mean, we can't have issues. Rain Man in 2019, can we? We can't have Dustin Hoffman playing Rain Man in 2019 anymore, can we? Aren't we getting out of this because it is offending so many people so often when it happens? I think you got a lot of great actors out there that suffer from these afflictions, and they, they have such a small... Totally agree. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you know, I got gotcha. your opportunity, yeah. and you know, you could you can give them a role. Would like this fly if he wasn't also the I, director of this movie? I don't know. And on the other hand, have you ever seen an actor with Tourette syndrome? Do you know of any actors with Tourette? Syndrome? Uh, yeah, it's a great point. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't so know. if there are none, you got to do it, or you got to. I don't know. Why? Why? Why do this though? You know, like why try to. It must be a great story, and the New York Film Festival just doesn't pick any movie to close close the film festival. So this is this is intriguing. This was a shocker to me. Sh shocker, absolute shocker. Really, I hope there's more to it than what we just saw, and I hope there's stories that come out that justify and substantiate and somehow make this feel less of an issue than how it is on first blush. And this is first blush. We didn't have time to digest this. We literally no, just saw it. And these just are hot takes it. reactions. So we, again, we could be totally off. I could be speaking nonsense right now, but as it felt to me on impact, yeah. that felt wrong when I was watching. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, those are the trailers, the Oscar hopeful or contending trailers that we had that debuted this week. We also have more news, and I promise we would talk about Quentin Tarantino, Michael. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does open well overseas, and that's important. $58 million last weekend, essentially, and after it opened in one or two markets to like $8 million. We were seeing that $8 million number for a while. So now it is up to about $181 million worldwide. We're recording this on a Thursday, and it's up to $181 worldwide off a $90 million budget after its first week overseas. So again, you know, you could take like cut it in half every week, just yeah. in general terms. If it's not opening it up in more markets, that's the thing we don't understand about the foreign international openings like we do in the American box office. Like, we could typically say cut it in half every week, right, right? For, the, for the U.S. box mm -hmm. office, for the domestic, but we don't know how, how it expands market-wise. Right. So is it going to make $40 million next week? Is it going to make, you know, 29 next week and go by the math? Uh, all we can do is judge historically what the Tarantino numbers have done, and usually they go between 61 to 63% as far as their total worldwide box office comes internationally. So Even, you're looking more at the domestic number, well, which no, is like 111. Sure, right now, for now, yeah, I'll probably finish. I, I have like 120-ish, 120, yeah, whatever. But it, even if you cut this down and say it's a very American-centric, American-centralized film, it's Hollywood, all that jazz, yeah. uh, the Manson family, Americana, Age of Innocence, if you say this is going to be, like, you say it's total box office is only going to be 55% international take, that's still going to leave us around 
what, a $300 million worldwide box office at the end of the day on a $90 million picture. So we're going $3.33 for every $1 put into production. That's good, not for Sony, because Sony made that deal with Tarantino. They don't really gonna, they're not going to see a dime of profit unless this thing goes above about $375 million worldwide. It's probably not going to do that, but mm -hmm. I don't think Sony has that on their mind right now anyway because they got bigger spider-sized fish to fry on their grill. <laughs> they got spider fish to fry <laughs> on the grill. That's interesting. So Film Festival updates, Mike. We've been talking about the San Sebastian Film Festival, and that's in the news a bunch this week. A new movie to look out for, and I always think this is cool. This always makes me happy. The Song of Names. Yeah, like you said, we talked about this film festival. It has kind of an Oscars lineage, or at least is showing big-time Oscars as caliber contenders in recent past. Mm -hmm. The Song of... What is it? The name, song, song of Names. Song of Names. Couldn't get that name right. Uh, it's not a movie we've mentioned here previously, though it's said to be a detective story that spans the globe and generations. We've asked for the Clive Owen renaissance. It's maybe here. Clive Owen and Tim Roth are the two leads in this. Francois Girard is a director who I'm familiar with. I know you have some uh, familiarity with what he's done. I've seen The Red Violin... I was bored by the red yeah. violin. Wasn't good. This was years back. I mean, this is like high school, college me watching this movie, right. and I was bored. So I don't know. Well, he has the same birthday as me, so I imagine this will be a juggernaut nonstop. We're getting a though? Uh, he's coming back, I guess. Him and Tim Roth. I, Tim Roth, a little angry about being upset, uh, cut from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He gets to cut his teeth here as a leading man. <laughs> Jeffrey Kane, uh, more seriously, has a screenplay credit here to this uh, Song of Names movie. He brought us enjoyable scripts to Goldeneye back in the day, The Constant Gardener. He landed an adapted screenplay nom for, so yeah, why not? I'm interested in it. Well, you had seven Oscar-nominated films at San mm -hmm. Sebastian last year. And some of the big names. And some of the names that actually caught on later, like yeah. Cold War. Good point. Like the surprises. So that's why I do want to take a closer look here. But I love The Constant Gardener. Rachel Weisz deserved the Oscar in that. So, you know, you have this screenwriter, Jeffrey Kane, coming from that film. That's a good sign for it. And the fact that it's pinned as the opening nighter after, you know, looking at all these other names because they added six more films to the comp competition, Mike. We have Olivier... Olivier... Asaya? Asaya? <laughs> I always screw it. Asaya. Yes. I always screw it up. He is the director... Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas. <laughs> Mr. O. Director of per Personal Shopper. Director of Carlos. He has a new film, Wasp Network. Penelope Cruz is in it. Anna de Armas. Uh, about Cuban political prisoners of the United States. Penelope Cruz is being awarded at this festival, so this is another high-profile get for them. She seems to be doing just all kinds of movies. Not necessarily American movies, but a ton of getting her chops in and going over and over in international movies. I thought she was phenomenal, and everybody knows. Yeah, so you, you, I, like, you were very high on that. I was a big that. fan. I, I I've always, seen been it a, always been a big fan of her. Proxima is about an astronaut preparing for a one-year mission starring Ava Green and Matt Dillon. I don't know who's the astronaut there. Uh, uh, Brad Pitt. <laughs> that was a delayed reaction to a joke that Mike just made about an astronaut. I'm going to keep going with the rundown here. Pacified is about Rio's crackdown on crime and drugs before the Olympics, the last Olympics we just had. This is produced by Darren Aronofsky, Mike, and it's about like a kid becoming friends with a drug runner and the cops are on their tails. Very current, very of the moment, so sometimes those movies do well and are able to rise above. It's cool to see American directors you know, basically sponsoring international directors now. Yeah, that, that's absolutely. A, that's something fairly new. Putting their money there and then getting movies made that maybe not, wouldn't be seen American side otherwise. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. The Other Lamb is about a kid growing up in a cult, and it seems like scary. Patrick is about a kidnapped child who turns up in Paris in a prison 12 years later after he went missing. What are these movies where these kids just go missing and then just are found randomly? Didn't we just talk about one of these last week during the Oscar race checkpoint? The kid went missing from school and then like three weeks later just shows up and that's the premise for the, the yeah, whole thing? Yeah, it's true for yeah. one of the New York Film Festival selections. We have Lamo or Liamo and Scalby. When it comes out, I'll figure out how to pronounce <laughs> it. It's about a couple whose past prevents them from marrying. Kind of like you and me. It does. It does. It does, it does <laughs> go that way. So we got these movies that, and at least in my mind, are intriguing. Sure. We want to put them on your radar because this festival just had Oscar films like crazy last year. Yeah, and also we don't know what the Oscar picture is yet. Like we have the the heavy hitters: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Avengers, Endgame, uh, A Marriage Story, probably is yeah. going to be. But we don't really have a full card of nominations all up and down at this point like we mm -hmm. have previously in the last couple of years. We've at least 
have an idea at this point in the last couple of years of maybe one or two of the major categories. Mm-hmm. And this year, we don't have that much yet. I thought last year we had a good feel for like, all right, these 12 movies are going right. to be in contention. We didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Just, last year, going up to the Oscars was right. mayhem. But yeah, you're right. We, we knew like the finalists list. An and idea of it. I think we were right about most of those, even though like the Cold Wars came out of nowhere right. to a degree. But even those, we were like, all right, former Oscar winner right. is involved. And we knew like by personnel. So I don't think we were so shocked. Now, we don't know. We yeah. really don't know. Knives Out is another film that we're excited about, and they're really, you know, going to travel the world on the film festival circuit as well. They're going to be added to the London Film Festival, which is kind of cool. They're going to Fantastic Fest, Mike, that we already talked about them being at TIFF, and they're closing for Fantastic Fest. I'm glad to see that because I was was slow on the takeover of this. I would have thought this was going to be a film festival favorite, and just they they hadn't announced it really until these last couple weeks. But Mm -hmm. London, as a film festival in whole, it looks like it's only announced three films this far, uh, so far anyway. It takes place in the middle of October, but they're three doozies. They're all expected to either be in the race or just on the periphery. We got the personal history of David Copperfield's going to open. Mm-hmm. The Irishman is going to close. And now Knives Out is also going to be play- playing a factor there. So happy to see that. Looks like a loaded... I mean, if you can only pick three movies so far, those are three good ones. But this would be a popular commercial film. Yeah, like a popcorn would, one, I would think. We would love to see this break sure. in to the edge of the Oscars. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, wouldn't you be crazy about Jamie Lee Curtis or Tony Collette put, a thousand percent. putting in a great performance? And a Ryan Johnson who done it? Yeah. Yeah. Chris Evans, mm-hmm. I mean, he's charming in the trailer. I mean, he would be he would be a, a sleeper, dark horse sure. pick for one of those supporting uh, surprises. So I, I'd be in for that all day. I, I do think Fantastic Fest is a place I want to go at some point, Mike, <laughs> yeah. because you know they had the, the the first wave of announcements that included Jojo Rabbit, Takahashi Miike's First Love. Two films we're crazy about or we want to see. But now you have The Lodge, you have Parasite just doing the rounds. Yeah. Opening everywhere. And they, this is all after they've opened and done, you know, historic box office in South Korea. Yeah, that's going to start making a push. I think that's going to, they maybe they want, they got their eyes set on some best picture stuff for that. I don't know. We'll see. But I hope so. There's also a film that Chris Evangelista from that Slash Film article about the second wave of signings for Fantastic Fest. He calls it a Lovecraftian adaptation starring Nick Cage. And those are two things that belong in more sentences together. I'm surprised we haven't had... I thought he was attached to In the Mouth of Madness, Nick Cage. I, that might be a story. Maybe that's just... He is the Mouth of Madness, so maybe... <laughs> maybe that's selective memory. The Color Out of Space is the name of the Lovecraft, Nick H.P. Right. Lovecraft, Nick Cage. I'm going to call that a biopic is what that is. <laughs> yeah, I, that's... that's Again, let's go to Fantastic Fest. Let's drop yeah, everything. Let's absolutely. go. Here's some crappy news, though, and this Man, is like so stupid, so weird. Because why would they do this? The the Deauville, I guess if I can't pronounce your name, the Deauville <laughs> Film Festival, they have Woody Allen's A Rainy Day in New York opening that film festival. We kind of went on a tirade last week, Mike, about Woody Allen, Roman Polanski, you know, Nate Parker, all the way through to Casey Affleck. These guys have been accused of horrible crimes, and they've gotten off, and they might be telling the truth or they might not be we know in Polanski's case he pleaded guilty putting these people in charge of feature films putting their influence on people and and number one just giving them the money to make these films to let their dreams become cinema when you have all these female filmmakers you have all these more deserving personalities that should be given those chances should be given that cultivation and that care why is that happening Especially we a guy like, I mean, the guys like Polanski and Woody Allen, we know for a fact what they, you know, I mean, we've known, they're on record, they're convicted. I mean, I don't know if Woody Allen's convicted, but we know Polanski's pled guilty. We know certainly that Woody Allen's done some unseemly things in his Woody history. Woody Allen married right. a, a girl he raised. Right. So, I don't, I don't know. This is, it's, no, no thank you. No thank you to those. Yes, no. Just want to get away with them. Yeah. It's gross. And, yeah, and then that's... Film festival news. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, other news. We had HBO buying the next Steven Soderbergh movie with Meryl Streep, with Gemma Chan, with Lucas Hedges. Let them all talk. 
this is kind of important because now we know it's Emmys and not Oscars. Is this the one that Soderbergh just kind of dropped on everyone that was like, surprise, I've been filming this movie on the side with Meryl Streep? For a dude that retired a couple years yeah. ago, he's made an awful lot yeah. of movies in a short amount of time. Talk to Tarantino about that retirement plan, <laughs> I think. This movie also stars Diane Weiss, Candace Bergen. Big cast, great name. Soderbergh make, has made, really, he's at least been innovative with his movie making lately. Sure. He hasn't been all hits, but uh, of course I'm interested in this. Soderbergh, Meryl Streep, that's all you got to sell me on. Let's see it. But it'll be Mike, Mike, and Emmy podcast <laughs> for that one. The Woman in the Window gets pushed to May 2020. This is important because it did not get pushed to next fall. So this is not an Oscars movie, Mike. We have Joe Wright, Amy Adams, Julianne Moore, Gary Oldman, Brian Tyree Henry, Anthony Mackie, all on a Tracy Letts screenplay, and it's not an Oscars movie. No, you mean Disney isn't doing the most it can to position a Fox property as an Oscar? I'm not taking the bait, but man, what, what if it shocker. sucks? What if it sucks? <laughs> I'd be you know, surprised. Man, yeah, if it sucks, then that's I would be surprised too. But I, this is something that everybody and anyone that has any kind of clout in the Oscar prediction industry had as a, a contender this year in multiple categories. So to go from that to is it even going to be watchable, I think is a bit of a stretch, especially if you just consider the talent involved. Yeah. Now... May could be a, a fine time for an Oscars movie. Anything could be a fine time for an Oscars movie if the movie's good enough. I still think, I mean, I, I will believe this doesn't have awards, legs, or at least can't contend once I see it. And if I see it and it's no good, and it's a Joe Wright property that flops, that has Amy Adams and Gary Oldman. You're still in denial. Yeah, if, I can't believe it's not good. I'm sorry. Right. I, I, it, I don't know what more you need to be sold on, but... Apparently, test audiences didn't like it. Disney's done enough to fool around with it and wants to move it around and change its release date and have some reshoots. So I guess we'll see what the final product is. Look, if the, they can yeah. make Ad Astra look appealing, I think they can make the woman in the window look appealing. Well, I'm just surprised that this didn't get the Ad Astra spot for next year. Right. I mean, this is a situation where the only the exceptions, not the rules, make the Oscars from the spring, from the from the fall, yeah, from the winter rather. Winter and spring, and even summer movies, the exceptions and really the exceptional movies make the Oscars from those release dates. That's not an Oscar release date, especially when it's going to basically be like counter programming to next year's superhero. Slate. Well, no, it gets out before the Memorial Day, which is usually mm -hmm. when the superheroes go. May 15th, 2020 is when it's slated for, so it'll have mm -hmm. a couple weeks run, maybe. I. I don't know. I, th I feel a lot of things about it, as I usually do when it comes to Disney playing with Fox properties. All right, we're just going to glance over this story, but Polanski wants Academy expulsion of a lawsuit out of the dishonest L.A. Superior Court, says him. No, I want Roman Polanski out of the film industry, so yeah. I guess we're both at an impasse. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I had I written, I wrote down meaner things to say. I'm not going to say them. I'm going to try and take the high road here just... Get away from it. All right. Everybody. New segment, Mike. You've been teasing it for a while. Let's unveil it here. It is called Snubbable or Unsnubbable. And you have to say it with those Bs. Okay. And what's the premise of this? All right. You take a nominee from a particular category or a potential nominee, and you basically compare her, him or her to the rest of the field. We do this all the time, but we're talking about it through the guise of what are the chances that this is Snubbable or Unsnubbable? I want those terms to be coined from MMO. And today we have, to lead off, the first ever snubbable versus unsnubbable. Leonardo DiCaprio of from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's still out in theaters. We just had the foreign box office story. We just had the international box office story. We just had a week where we had not previously talked about Tarantino, so we have to do it it's here. It's been a couple minutes, so we got to get our fix. Yeah. It's been the summer of Q. <laughs> so, Mike, why is it unsnubbable? You basically have the thesis statement here today. Yeah, because it's the best performance we've seen on the year by far. I mean, first of all, I know you're going to say there's a chance this could go supporting. I don't think there's any way this could be considered a supporting actor's performance at this point, right? He's the lead. He's the head of the posters. Tarantino said that it's his Rick Dalton's movie. And yet, like the big picture and Bill Simmons and The Ringer. I know Bill right. Simmons is not an Oscar expert, but Fantasy is going 12 rounds with Simmons. And they're talking about how Brad Pitt is basically the lead of that movie. And I was like, what the hell? I mean, you were texting me, I remember. Yeah, Brad, look, I get Brad Pitt has moments where he jumps off the screen, I get that, but a supporting actor can jump off the screen. We talked about how The Godfather screwed it up those years. We talked about how they screwed it up with the Betty Davis uh, year back in 1950 in our unreleased episode that we keep referring to, <laughs> to the point where we're going to get enough minutes 
referring to it yeah. that we probably should longer just than it was it. the episode. Yeah. Right. Yes, I would be shocked. Look, if he didn't go supporting for for Django, this is twice the lead performance that he was in Django, right? Leo's character here. Oh yes. So no, this is not a supporting actor caliber performance. Now you're going to talk to me. Is the studio going to position Brad Pitt to go against him? I can't imagine when we have studios tripping over themselves in these days to split the ticket in the way they do to avoid cannibalization amongst a single category with all their entries and nominees. I cannot imagine Sony who after making this deal with Tarantino, I have to believe had a conversation about what they're willing to do to campaign for this for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. One, they had to know they weren't going to make money, or at least there was a long shot that they would make any money on the movie. They had to have known that, right? Right. So with that in mind, they're making this deal with Tarantino strictly for the prestige, right? Which means the Oscars. Which means they know they're going to have to put money into the marketing and the FYC, the four years consideration campaign to get this thing there. The easiest Oscar to chase right now in a Tarantino movie that will provide the least controversy based on what we've seen in this movie would be getting Leo his second lead acting nom- uh, nominee. It seems like a no-brainer. And talking about the quality of the performance, we've raved, raved about it from uh, the whole month. Literally. Yep. It ranks up there with his other ones. The question I have to ask you here is, is it too subtle at times in terms of will everybody get it? Because I because I was with you. I think this was a no-brainer. And then we had two weeks of, you know, Leo's great. And then the next two weeks, it's everything else. We're talking about Bruce Lee. We're talking about Brad Pitt. We're talking about all these different things where I would have figured we'd have been like, all right, Leo is going to be Oscar nominated. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest. I think you're hitting on something important there. I, I am surprised at the lack of conversation, the lack of obsession. We've been kind of... I don't want to say we're leading the charge because we're just on our own little pedestal here, but I would I would have thought there'd be more heavy hitters carrying the torch for Leo's Oscar chances. The more here. we watch this performance, yeah. the more we love this performance. Right. And a lot of these, you know, pundits out there doing podcasts, talking about this film on the page or the screen or whatever, they have gone in different directions. They have pivoted to different stories instead of doing what we've been doing, basically just gushing more about Leo. I mean we're kind of hitting on why it might be snubbable at this point. Well but that's the thing. I, I guess the argument could be made that it's only, quote unquote, it's only a top three Leo performance of all time, whereas maybe it's the best Brad Pitt performance we've ever seen. So maybe that's why he gets all the shine. And that is only, an indic- it's indicative of how good Leo is on screen because right. Brad Pitt is a movie star, right? He's not necessarily known for his Oscar caliber performances and maybe mm-hmm. he's putting on one here and because he is 55 years old and he still looks that damn good without a shirt on at 55 years old while putting on this kind of performance, maybe he is worthy of getting the spotlight and because people remember Wolf of Wall Street and they remember maybe The Revenant, maybe they prefer those Leo performances to a an insecure, vulnerable Leo performance like we got here. Maybe Leo is going to be demonized because of his past ultra high quality work and this is like uglier leo in a way in a way yeah sure it's like snorting and spitting and smoking regular guy leo and coughing and regular guy leo (laughs) even though he does the movie star thing he's a disgusting man on the side of it and yeah brad port and yeah brad pitt is like best performance by a shirtless man in a motion picture (laughs) now look for leo to be snubbable right like so you're saying snubbable means he can't even be on the bubble really uh, snubbable means he's there's got to be at least what three performances that are surefire a hundred percent going to be nominated. So Antonio Banderas, Pain and Glory, that seems like a, a performance with a lot of momentum. Right? Sure. Lately, we've been getting Adam Driver talk. Lately. Sure. Lately, we've been getting Joaquin Phoenix talk, and from the beginning, we were talking about Tom Hanks. So there, you, there's your four for three. If you bring in Eddie Murphy with Dolomite, if you bring in Jonathan Price, we've been getting a lot of talk about the new popes. If you bring in De Niro, which I don't think that'll happen, like Taron Egerton, probably not at this stage, even though that's a pretty darn good performance. Right. Maybe people remember that fondly. I don't know who's going to be nominated from Ford versus Ferrari. Is it Matt Damon? Is it Christian Bale? Ian McKellen was getting a lot, even though Helen Mirren was getting a lot too. Who's the star of that film? Mm-hmm. I didn't get to Daniel Kaluuya yet. Right. So, here's my counter to that. Three of those, at least, are going to have to be so 
insurmountably <laughs> better than what Leo did in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So you think it's obvious. I'm playing a little devil's advocate against you. I think it's obvious, too. I think I just can't imagine this performance being the one that doesn't make the final five. Right? Because that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about necessarily a win at this point. Right. We're talking about being snubbed from the category, which means Correct. snubs from nomination. Yep. To have that, this needs to be one of the two or three on the outside that aren't a surefire lock to be nominated. I think we're going to get somebody coming out of, not out of nowhere, it could be one of that I listed. We're going to get an obvious performance from another film, right? Whether it's Daniel Cruz, uh, yeah, no, no question. Mark Ruffalo, yeah. and the Todd Haynes Project. We're going to get something that just shows itself. All right, I am Oscar worthy. We're going to get that performance. And then we're probably going to get, you know, three out of the four from Banderas, Driver, and Joaquin. I still say Kaluuya, is the, at least from what I've seen. But that's the thing, like, we're, we're projecting at this point with all these performances because we just don't have exposure to any of them, so... Yeah. They all look like NFL draft picks, right? right? Like They're I, all the shiny... I suppose yeah. it's entirely possible that we have three best-of-these-lifetime performances coming out. <laughs> but this is a Leo best-of-his-lifetime... This is the best Leo performance... I'm sorry. This is the best Leo performance I've seen. I, I agree with you. I tried to get you get your goat a little bit there. I wonder if Sony does run out of some money at some point. I don't know what their situation is. They were in dire straits a couple years back. They were having trouble, let's just say, oh. a couple years back. Yeah, I'll tell you what, if it's a 95-5 split they've been running on, getting 95% of they're the Spider-Man box office, yeah. I don't think they're in money trouble right, right. now. They're fine. And based on that last Hollywood Reporter article, they were the third biggest. They yeah. might have been the fourth biggest, biggest, but they were comparable numbers in terms of valuation to Disney. And for a guy we know is as invested in getting Oscar recognition and Oscar's prestige as Tarantino has repeatedly talked about with all his movies doing back to our Tarantino rewatch series. We brought that up almost every episode. There were interviews and snippets of how he wanted this to be nominated and thought that should have been nominated. Yeah, I have to believe in my heart that Sony, one of the selling points Sony was able to talk about was cashing out, getting an FYC campaign done if this one was carried to any kind of prestige and had Oscar's legs, which it clearly does. It so does. I have to imagine Sony's going to take care of that on Tarantino's behalf. I would like to see it end up in a nominee for Tarantino himself. But again, the least controversial one would be going for either Brad Pitt or Leo. And I don't think they're going to be in the same category. And I think you have a good chance at landing two acting nominations or acting trophies out of the same movie here. It's going to be fascinating because we don't know as much as we've known in previous yeah. years, like we've said. We have all these movies with big names still to come what if there's six humongous names i know you don't get bigger names than leo that put up great performances would leo be the forgotten performance so i'm not gonna say this is unsnubbable i still think it's snubbable that's where i land if the best performance of leonardo dicaprio's career can be snubbed then why do we have the oscars <laughs> sure. why do we have them what, what are we doing here? You're so bad. He's the greatest actor. It's a, it's a, it's a great performance. <laughs> he's one of the, maybe not the greatest, but he's like a top five greatest living actor right now. Yeah. He's putting on the best performance of his career in a very unique movie. What do we have the Oscars for? I think it, <laughs> you still have a lot of new people who have never been nominated before. You still have the narrative factor, and you still have the name factor with other, other people. Eddie Murphy, the comeback story. I'm trying to play devil's advocate hard. <laughs> would I would would I say there's a zero percent chance he's snubbed? No. If Andy, if Antonio Banderas snubs out Leo for this performance, I will never watch another one of his movies. <laughs> uh, that's that's good. That's funny. It's a good way to end it. I'm glad that's that segment's cool. We'll keep doing it. Uh, you know, you're saying. He is unsnubbable. I think this is unsnubbable. I'm saying he's snubbable, right? That's, I, I, that's I, the truth I, of it? I, I, he's unsnubbable unless something catastrophic comes out that's more damning to this movie than the Bruce Lee controversy that we've had yeah. so far. Uh, that's where I will land on that. But yeah, all right, we'll see how that goes. We should figure out some kind of punishment to have to see who's right and we'll tally this up at the end of the uh, <laughs> after the Oscars. Sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> 
So this way it's never a punishment. Yeah, you said punishment, but... And your mind went right to sandwich. I'm hungry. <laughs> Guys, we want to know, do you think Leo and his performance here in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is snubbable or unsnubbable? Tell us why, as well as giving us comments, questions, concerns, and reactions to anything we cover here in the MMO Empire. You can reach out to us and leave us those comments at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, MM and Oscar on the Twitter machine, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit, we're available everywhere you hear podcasts, tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podca- Apple Podcasts, iTunes, that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, etc. Like we said at the top of the show, if you can, take a couple seconds out of your day, type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the podcast app on your iPhone, go click on our logo there, and click the five-star review after scrolling down a little bit. That would mean a lot to us. Yes. Michael, what is next from MMO, and what's some words of wisdom to end on? So I just saw that Loose is coming our way. It's oh, is coming it? Coming our way this weekend, so we'll hopefully get to that one next week. It's on the schedule now. Good. We'll have MMOW, more TV to review, which is cool because we got you know the the space now to review yeah. some more TV. So I've really been into TV this week. We'll you know maybe do a round two about Aliens, probably not, but I just want <laughs> to throw that out there. Did that work as a marketing push? It was like a gag. You know, we did ten minutes on Do Aliens Exist after the Netflix documentary. I don't know if it worked or not. Nothing I said was a gag. I'm Team Alien. If they invade, I'm out of here. <laughs> but it was yeah, we did like the same numbers for everybody. W O we'll see. So if you like us alien, you know, talking aliens, that's where it happened. We'll pivot to being an alien only podcast. Look, we put it in the title. So it's if you want to know where an Oscar show came down on, you know, life beyond this this sphere, yeah. this atmosphere, that's where it was. Tom DeLong, call us. For a multitude of reasons. I got some questions. But MMOW is where we can have all those side conversations about some cool shit like yeah. that. And uh, otherwise, we got an It Chapter 2 preview that is a crossover episode <laughs> with our Joker character study. We just put out our first kind of film review mm-hmm. in the Joker character study about 1966's Batman. Two weeks from now, we'll have 89's Tim Burton, Jack Nicholson, Batman, and we'll go from there. But in between, we're going to preview It chapter two and kind of talk about the evil clown villain in all of horror in that episode so we'll have some fun with that uh words of wisdom sandwiches <laughs> always i had to pause and think about it and then immediately it I'm didn't hungry. take you long i'll I'm tell hungry. you it's wise to eat sandwiches they're delicious guys when reality sucks you can come watch movies and make sandwiches with us we are mike mike and oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness and with the snubability, we will see you soon. See ya.